let me preface these remarks with I never, never, ever believe Israeli figures. I've been in the government too long to know that the Israelis are patent liars in their intelligence community, in their propaganda community, certainly, and in their leadership. They are inveterate liars. Let me say that again. They are liars. So you can't believe anything that comes out of Jerusalem. It's all propaganda. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, February 10th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. Definitely a sensitive conversation. Was toying with the title quite a bit today to decide how to discuss this in a way that wouldn't, you know, drive people from watching. And I realized, you know what? It's the truth. And the truth is what ultimately matters. And I've never been one to shy away from something that we can prove as you guys will well. And so I just, the reason I said that today is because I really did have this thought, the conversation with somebody like, you know, wondering whether or not, you know, should we frame it a certain way? And I'm just, and I'm just realizing how frustrated and angry and almost disgusted that makes me that, and not in any way, like in a dishonest way, just trying to find a way to like reframe the title. So it's not going to shock people away from wanting to hear And it just frustrates me because it's amazing we're at a point today where more than ever that that I've ever seen are aware that we're being deceived in so many different ways, sort of like with the COVID-19 conversation. So many people were just acutely aware of how much people at the highest levels were lying to you, omitting facts, and even cases where people argue that they knew that they did something that they knew would hurt you. Like at the highest levels and yet that we fall into a foreign policy conversation and we're back to trusting those same people and what they say and the trust and agreements that we have. I, it just, it's, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, the point to mention that to start today is because this is a sensitive topic. The reality that we, that we've been discussing around the history of Zionism, what the Zionist political organization truly is and its foundation and what it was really, you know, what really created it. And how that is relevant to what we're talking about today. And again, you cannot discuss that right now without overlapping it with the conversation of the Hannibal Directive. And this is why this is so important, because we have a real-time, and I argue, ongoing example of this kind of mindset. Sacrificing your own people for your agenda. Or, as I would actually see this from the origin using these people for your agenda and finding ways to convince this entire grouping of people to think that you are, I mean, quite frankly, I look at it like any other government, the the U.S. government convincing Americans that they're fighting on your behalf and they're doing this for your interest, when in reality, they're using you like every other government's using their populations. And so it's it, but for some interesting reason, and I mean, there's obvious points about, I mean, just what's going on in Gaza right now alone. But for for many different reasons, the conversation around Zionism, which isn't political organization, and how it controls the government on behalf of the state of Israel and ruling over what they'll tell you is the only Jewish state for the Jews alone, as Netanyahu famously said, it becomes much more sensitive. Only because of the trap, the 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 
the labels and the conversation around, which is what, what is simply a political organization abusing its people for its own interests, which is not that unique when you think of it that way. So today we're going to talk about that in the larger point, but specifically a CIA document, which is public. I'll show you where I saw it from, from somebody on Twitter, a CIA document directly from CIA.gov discussing how at the time the Zionist, uh, um, or excuse me, the Jewish organization, I think is the term they used, simply was just, we'll get to it in a second, just the, the the term applied before there was a state of Israel. And really, as we discuss, even directly from Wiki or Wikipedia, is it was just basically synonymous with Zionism or the Zionist organization. And we'll show you what they were discussing and that they state more than once they're willing to sacrifice the Arab, the, the Jewish people, the Jewish population in the Arab nations as long as they get what they want. Now, it's being framed as a, a state for the Jews, but of course, what we're talking about, what we're going to make sure you understand in this is however you think it will, whatever, even if it was a state for the Jews to, and, and to get there to sacrifice Jewish people, I don't know why anybody would be okay with that. But when we understand the real history, but when the, the Zionist element of this, which today is more obvious than ever, we need to see the picture for what it really is. And this is why I, I, I reference people like Avi Shalom, Shalem, I think I said his name incorrectly for a while, and, and, and the history that he shows you. And we'll point that out yet again, from specifically as an Arab Jew from Iraq, telling you what was done to the Iraqi Jews under the guise that it was to save them when it turns out it was Zionists bombing those Iraqi Jews to convince them to come to their state of Israel and blaming the Arabs in the process. He's a very, very highly regarded historian. We'll talk about all of this. Now, after that, we're going to talk about some other conversations in regard to Israel and some other the UNRWA and some different stuff. But I'll, I'll leave it there to see how much time we have to get to it. And I think today I was going to start with some censorship points, but I think I'm going to skip that today just for the interest of time. For that very por- that very reason, I think today is this conversation is important and sensitive, and I want to make sure we get right to it. So yeah, I'll, I'll save this. Well, I, you know, I will. I'll just show you some of these uh, posts that I was going to shout out to start, and then we'll. I, I have some points about some censorship topics. We'll save for another show, probably the next one we do. But this one, I don't don't miss the post Derek just put up, and there will be more coming. Everything you need to know about week one and the second week one of the second phase of the fluoride lawsuit. Some really powerful stuff in here. I put we I, I embedded some of the interviews that he had with Michael Conant, with uh, Doctor Who. And these are some important stuff. Breaking down how obvious this is. I'm not going to dive back into it because I've already said it many times. It's just amazing to me how obvious this is, how the report's very clear and they all seem to know it. And the story really is the government's trying to keep this in your water supply and everyone's fighting to show you why that's crazy. That's that's basically what's happening. So make sure you keep up on this. Make sure you see what's happening. Watch the EPA desperately try to keep dangerous things in your water because that's their job, right? And then, of course, I want to give a shout out to our Substack. I just posted... Uh, one more thing today. One more is going to be coming out tomorrow and another a day and a half after that. Have them scheduled. But another really great section from the Arna Burkhart interview, sudden death of healthy 29-year-old male. Um, important conversation about just the, the mechanisms within all of this and how Arna Burkhart was doing amazing work proving that these things were killing people. And it's a, it's a great clip. They all, they're all clips with Taylor's breakdown of the science. It's important. Make sure you check it out. Now, on that note, yeah, I'll come back to this stuff about there's but well, I guess I'll mention this, but I'll come back. The the rumble video that we put up yesterday for some reason is just frozen. I don't know what's going on there. I it just will not. It's stuck at 33%. So reach out to them if you'd like to see it. I don't know why it's happening, but the Odyssey's still there. But let's start with this tweet from Arnaud Bertrand. 
And this this is one small segment we'll start with before we get into some the you know general foreign policy points about all this. And I think this is important because it shows that things are shifting. And I really want people to see how obvious that is. And still to this very point, we should be very skeptical, very suspicious. Is this manufactured? And the real point is, it always is to some degree. And I mean that in the sense that even if something's happening that is not by the design of the narrative managers and the social engineers, they'll still do everything they can to capitalize. It's kind of like I framed the other day, making sure that even as they're losing, that they guide the loss in a way that ends up in a place that benefits them as best they can in that losing position. I mean, I mean that's just good practice, ultimately, trying to benefit from things that are... But when you see it from a larger scale of a government manipulating you for its ends... It's not good practice at all. It's it's at your expense. The point, though, is that we should be skeptical that this might be done in a way to drive us into a certain outcome. Of course, I still genuinely believe that what has happened since October 7th has been completely unscripted. Or I shouldn't say completely, but for, by and large, because of the belligerent actions of Israel, it has made everybody, it's, it's pushed the empire on its back foot. And it doesn't mean they're lacking control and don't have complete overall power, but nonetheless, we have been shaken free from a lot of the control structures. And as I see it, I know we all see it right now. Even people that might hear what I just said and go, that sounds like conspiracy theory. You still can look around and recognize even yourself. You, you, people aren't buying into these things. We're very skeptical. Especially, look at it this way too. The independent media and the conversations that it has in general, the, the many different layers of it, Never used to be primary in the conversation. It used to be, you know, if barely they gave a nod or like to, to deride and laugh at a, a big prominent independent media conversation. Today, it's 50, 60% of the conversation. Having to bat down like some kind of game. What's the game? The, uh, the whack-a-mole. The narratives that we keep talking about. And they can't put them down because 90, more times than not, they end up having to go, but here's why this doesn't make sense. We are controlling the narrative and that's a positive thing. And I think a lot of this comes because people are seeing through things like they never have before. And my point in saying all of that is that we need to see a win where we can, even if it's still, like I said, them trying to capitalize on the loss and reframe it as it falls. We are still seeing a positive outcome where people are seeing through this stuff. And as he writes, the world is indeed changing, even Bloomberg. And again, the point there is that Bloomberg, I don't think is doing this because they care about you. They're also aware that things are complete. They're, they, they used to be able to trust in the flow, right? We can tow that line and no one's going to care, even though most might even know we're lying because this is the process. But now they're losing followers. People aren't paying attention. People are looking to new media sources. They're going, oh my God, this is not working. We can't just keep towing these lines. We're fit, we're, we are losing everything. And that goes for CNN and Fox and everybody. We're all watching things shift. So even Bloomberg is now calling to, quote, ditch the rules-based international order. To me, that is a huge win, and that is what it looks like to control the loss. Instead of just nailing in the square peg in the round hole, as they've done almost every time forever, and this is just my opinion, look, reading the tea leaves of the bigger picture, they're deciding to drop that, at least from a media perspective, to say, well, the rules-based international order, as they call it, is an Orwellian linguistic atrocity when used by American diplomats in particular, to makes U.S. foreign policy look hypocritical, because it is. So what I see this as is the rules-based international order being a complete joke that has imploded because the leadership of this concept is shown to be the least, 
the least trustworthy of everything we're dealing with. The last person or entity that should be standing up calling for rules-based anything as they completely disregard everything that means anything when they want to. And that's the point. And so instead of, like, had this not gone so crazy, they would have shouted down the people like us going, they don't really do it. There are no WMDs. They are spraying in the air. You're crazy. That's how it used to go. But today, now they're having to step up and go, okay, let's kick this whole thing aside. Now, do you think that's going to go away? No. My point would be that from a larger agenda, there's going to be another term, another way to frame it, another another objective that's the same ultimate outcome framed from a different way. And this is about kicking that away because we all see through it. Again, just my perspective hypothesizing. But I do see this as a win. Interestingly, it goes on. The author promotes the ideas of John Dugard, a professor of international law in the Netherlands, as laid out in his fantastic paper on the rules-based order, which is the best he said he's read on the subject in which he himself has posted about many times. Dugard makes the case repeated in the Bloomberg article that the, quote, U.S. pushes its rules-based international order, which we really all should laugh about. It's absurd to think anybody could have taken that seriously based on what they've always done. But it says so hard uh, that they uh, that the U.S. pushes it so hard precisely because it wants to avoid unreservedly endorsing and obeying an older, simpler and clearer idea that of international law. That's pretty damn simple, isn't it? So instead of just acknowledging, and, you know, and this is the same thing we always point out, right? Like I make the joke about when Biden's, Biden's administration passes a law about lynching. That's a purely political, nonsensical law. It's already completely dealt with by every other law in place. It's illegal to hurt somebody in every different way. It's illegal to murder somebody. It's illegal to, uh, to assault somebody. Quite frankly, there's probably another law in there somewhere based on the what. The point is you don't need to make a law specifically about one of those particular outcomes just to make a point about racial. That's what it's about. So in the same point here, instead of acknowledging international law is already there and you're just not following it, you manufacture the rules-based international order and just apply that to whatever you want. And he says that's why the Biden administration prefers the RBIO to international law, rules-based international order. Because that doesn't actually define rules as lawyers would. It's all about the Orwellian game, isn't it? It has no tribunals or procedures for dispute settlements, nor does it care whether countries opt in or out. Instead, the rules-based international order is malleable enough to hint at the existence of standards while allowing the U.S. to assert its own national interest. And I'll add when and how it wants, whenever it wants. He goes on to say, in short, as Dugard writes in his paper, the rules-based international order is an order employed by the West. Again, particularly the United States, to ensure its dominance with, quote, rules that are tacit agreements between a handful of Western states and in complete opposition to international law. Tell me that is not exactly what we're seeing. In the fact, when's the last time you ever saw a leading corporate outlet stand up in the midst of a, of a, this would be like them standing up in the middle of the Great Reset and saying, no, it's a joke and they're lying and they're trying to steal from you. Wouldn't that have been crazy? Unprecedented? It's kind of what we're seeing here. Now, here is what he just said about Israel and Gaza, which I just is such an insult after where we are, after all that's happened, but this is because they are losing. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip has been um, over the top. Oh, my God. Good thing he didn't fall asleep while he's saying that. Jeez. You're talking about the like the only genocide most people alive have actually seen. And you're kind of like yawning while you're talking. Well, it was a little over the top. 
Good job, Biden. Oh, as I said, I said, yeah, an important statement, but only after four months of allowed genocide and as they're currently still arming Israel. So let's not pretend like that's just not a slap in the face. Like that's worse than actually doing nothing. This is what I keep talking about. Coming out and going, well, we keep telling them they need to do more and then giving them 20,000 dumb bombs or whatever they give them. Right? That's worse than nothing. That is pretending you're doing good while doing the worst thing possible. And he go, I wrote, all, all of which makes this a meaningless, self-serving statement meant to avoid accountability as the Zionist agenda becomes further exposed. Hashtag Genocide Joe. Like painful, painful. Over the top? Well, okay, Biden, what wasn't over the top the first three months? And now point out what's different about this fourth month that made you realize it was over the top. Aha, the point is, it's been the exact same genocidal acts from the beginning to now, and you're only just now noticing that? Hardly. They're only just now realizing that they've lost, or that they have to say something to make you think that they've never been on the side of the genocide. It's desperation. Now, just in case you want to see what it looks like, now, as much as you'll see the propagandists online try to frame this like, look at what they did to their own location, which is actually what the desperate Eli David tried to do. But you don't need context here. He doesn't, because this is the point about whether or not Hamas is every single millimeter of Gaza, there are civilians there. And so when you pretend that you're trying to pinpoint target Hamas, and then you turned one of these coastal uh, streets which, of course, they're trying to make it look really pretty and nice when they show you when, when they're showing it. The point is, this is what it looks like now. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pretend that every single one of these houses and every single one of these buildings and locations and all the way down that they just everyone had a tunnel, a Hamas member. And then they not only did they kill them, but they then killed them and then flattened it almost as if you're preparing for settlements. But totally not happening, though, because that would be blood libel, right? even though they're literally telling you to go to Egypt now because we want to you know, deploy the settlements that aren't happening though, even though they're having conferences for them and they have blueprints laid out and there's funding allotted, but we're crazy and we're racist if we talk about the settlements that are meant to go in the place where they swear they're not going to do that. Because, you know, that would be a violation of international law. Oh, but I forgot we're in the rules-based international order, so that doesn't apply. That, guys, is effing genocide. Now, I shouldn't even say that because, again, genocide is, even though we know it's been... Well, based on the world court, it has merit to the case. And I, we all know if we're honest with ourselves that it's been met a thousand times over. But that is simply a violation of the law. That is war crimes you're looking at right there. That's collective punishment. It just makes me sick. Now, here's what he said as well. And again, this take this in line with the exact same point that he's this, this statement right here. He says, or rather they're framing the CBS News says, Biden administration will be requiring Countries that receive weapons from the U.S. to provide credible and reliable written assurances. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that. To the State Department that they will use those weapons in accordance with the laws of war. I mean, do you not realize how ridiculous? This is like kindergarten level narrative. First of all, is there a difference between a statement that you wrote that's not credible and reliable versus one you wrote that is? So I write a paper that says, I will do that. Okay. Show me the version of that that's not credible and reliable or versus one that is. The point is it completely hinges on the person's word. Credible and reliable would be anything Israel writes because you blindly take their word at face value, always. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to for fun, think of a tie, a fr like, so is it they secretly write at the bottom, but I don't really mean this. Oh, it's not credible. 
I mean, it's just, it's just so they're, they're speaking to you like you're six years old. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to make sure they're credible written statements. Okay, so you're going to take them at their word is what that ultimately means. How is that different than now? Well, we had them write down, I swear, on a piece of paper. Aha, rules-based international order. Okay, on top of all that ridiculous kindergarten BS, are you actually admitting here that you've been selling weapons to people without concern about what they do with them? Well, pretty much, because that is what they're doing. And there's been reports from international entities that have done this for years, showing you that the U.S. government sells weapons to the most, I forget the term they use, red flag, or, or the, the, the groups and the entities and the states that are at the most risk of war crimes, selling them to terrorist groups. I mean, it's, it's done every year. I used to show this constantly. They just disagree. <laughs> it's like saying, well, you know, we arm the moderate rebels because they're freedom fighters, but, you, you know, that, so it's free, it's good stuff. But no, those are terrorists. Those are the open Al-Hayat, Terror Sham, Al-Qaeda, ISIS terrorists. We all know this. It was blatantly exposed during the Obama administration, but we just don't care. So they're admitting to you in every possible way that they are the arms dealers they pretend that they're trying to stop all over the world. And what's the difference between an arms dealer and, and, a, and a weapons manufacturer? Oh, that's right. Narrative. So it's the arms dealers and drug dealers. Nope, pharmaceuticals and weapons manufacturers were good guys over here. Well, here is the other side of this, right? So as Biden is meekly trying to kind of shift and shuffle over to the side that's like, I'm not on the genocide over here. You got people that are still actually towing these lines that are so embarrassing straight out of day one, even before all this was stupid. As I wrote, these old politicians are either incapable of seeing or choose not to see that everything has shifted even before October 7th, quite frankly. This, tri this tired inversion of reality is only lauded in Zionist-controlled circles, and those are dwindling by the day. No one is buying it. Here's what he actually said. Well, it is not Israel that is responsible for the terrible situation in Gaza, but Hamas terrorists who'd hide in densely populated civilian areas, hospitals and schools, and who deliberately started war with the atrocities on October the 7th. Oh, good, good. Did he just package that up from a piece, like, what, what did that, written on a bubblegum wrapper he was handed by some Israel, Israeli ambassador? Like, what are you talking about? You can't just keep repeating these statements. We are four months into this, and every major organization has disputed the overall claims. Every single one of them. We're just dealing with old politicians now, acting like they have some kind of moral standard or moral superiority over every single group that they used to tell you we have to listen to in these circumstances. Now it just shifts. So every single one of these locations, I mean, that's going back to that picture. So every single one of these locations, these were all verified Hamas locations hiding behind civilians. Well, then why do they flatten it all preparing for settlements like this is ridiculous. I'm not pretending that this guy knows that Israel pulled out. My point is he probably has no idea. He probably blindly believes this or quite frankly is so middle of the road about it. Very sociopathic that he just does what he's supposed to as a politician. This is what I'm supposed to say. Isn't this our, our side's policy that we blindly support Israel? So let's do that. So all of them are terrorists because they're all behind terror. Like it's, it's the narrative that everyone there is bad, either because you're a human shield, you support them, or you didn't get out of the way when you were asked. So all you end up doing is justifying genocide of every single innocent person in the area. And he's doing this four months after a genocide that has been called a genocide and deemed merit, merit, meritus, <laughs> deemed to have merit by the world court. Liberty started war. Oh, and then, of course, it was only started after October 7th. Like, does anybody actually take someone serious when they say that? 
Are we really pretending there's not 75 years of very public information about how this has been going? Even even Israel's narrative over the last 75 years does not pretend like this started on October 7th. And yet they just say that. And all of these followers, who, by the way, have a lot of power and influence over your life, just stumble out and repeat that. Atrocities on October the 7th. When Israel pulled out of Gaza in 2005, it had a successful economy, control over imports and exports. My God. I mean, again, he's just reading off talking points. This is wholesale lies. From, I mean, the idea, first of all, that they didn't continue to occupy the area is insulting. They have control over everything. And as I'll, I'll, uh, um, the UN Rapporteur Albanese points out, the, United, the international community is in absolute lockstep about that. So all we're dealing with is Israeli politicians and those that they influence shouting down the very groups that they otherwise tell you to listen to in these circumstances and would the very next day if they go right back to saying what they would want. Same reason they keep pointing to UN resolutions, even though they ignored what just happened for them or would clearly stand by the world court if it said Iran was a bad guy, but will ignore what they told them to do. Open borders and plans for a seaport. Hamas staged a vicious coup murdered moderate Palestinians, launched a wave of terror attacks against Israel. God. And that is why Israel had to build a fence, not as a blockade, but as a defense. My Instead God. Instead of building hospitals and schools, the murderers steal funds to make rockets and tunnels to attack Israel. Now, lie after lie after lie being completely broken down. Each one of these statements, Robert, has broken down on our, on our website with complete efficiency. Just broken down. The idea of the of the missiles and the water pipes. No, those were old settlements that were beautifully made for Israeli Jews illegally, and then they just left them there. So they went over and took those water pipes from those locations, yes, to fight back against a illegal occupation, which, by the way, is legal under international law. But you can prove that. That was even reported by Israeli media. You know what? Just like is happening now, where they make all these crazy claims, and even Haaretz steps in and goes, actually, that didn't happen. And yet they just keep saying it. Civilians. Instead of improving the lives of people in Gaza, the corrupt gangsters stole billions and live in luxury. Yeah, you mean the people that Hamas or that, it, that Netanyahu admitted to funding that even Haaretz posted about on October 9th that said that they arm and fund them and that is a that is their strategy? You can't just keep pretending those things don't exist. So if they funded and armed them and then this happened, well, that's at least partly their fault. No, either this very important politician has no idea about that very obvious and public fact, or he doesn't care. In Doha. And now they steal food, fuel, food, and aid. Nope. Even the UN said that's not true. UNRWA continues to point this out. Egypt has said that's not happening. This is Israel continuing to stifle the flow of aid. Everybody but these following politicians in Israel are making that clear. Meant for starving civilians. The only way to improve the situation in Gaza is for Hamas to stop the terror attacks, stop the war. Okay, okay, great. Let's just say for fun, that's exactly the reality. Okay, Hamas, please stop. Okay, they didn't stop. Okay, now what? It's a meaningless statement. Are we? So the argument is that we're all supposed, like, is it our job as these average people listening to stop Hamas from doing what they're doing? I thought that was Israel's job. Isn't that what they're telling us? Except they're not doing that. They're bombing everybody, including their own hostages, because Hamas won't surrender. So that's the only possible option. Carpet bomb everybody, including our people, or they just surrender, which won't happen because they'll die anyway. I mean, you have to realize how stupid this is. If they surrender, they'll get killed. I mean, this is this is this is not meant to be like a pro or con point. It's just the obvious reality. They're telling you they're all dangerous terrorists and we won't be able to exist until they're all gone. And then they go, but surrender. 
Well, why would they do that? They're going to fight because you know they'll kill them either way, so they're going to fight. So the point is, the reality is they're going to keep fighting. They're not going to surrender whether we call for it or not. Whatever pressure you think people can apply from their homes watching your TV screen is not there. So then you continue doing the thing that you're doing under the guise that you're waiting for us to somehow get them to stop what they're doing. It's very obvious this is just a manufactured illusion with no real outcome so they can keep doing what they're doing, which is ethnically cleanse the entire area, carpet bomb, kill including their own hostages, as we're going to get to next, because the Hannibal Directive is obviously still ongoing. And accept Israel's right to exist. Oh, yeah, by the way, which their own charter now does say and has said for, what, three decades now, despite the fact that they keep pretending and point to the really old charter that does say this back when it was actually an entity that was still being, I argue, completely controlled and influenced by Israel. Big surprise. And after the time seems to have shifted over however long, or you could argue they're lying about it, they changed their charter, which says that this is only about Zionism. They're, they respect the right of Israel to exist, and they only want their own state. It's, we've, I've shown you a million times. Or that this is why somebody like Laura Loomer sought out and found the old version and brought that to her debate, because it's a lie. Or at the very least, it's outdated. And if you're going to talk about it, you damn well better be honest and say, but here's what it says today. But of course not. It's not what they do. These people are liars or too stupid to know any better. So that's what you that's what you deal with today. So I think, well, I think I read what I wrote. Yeah. And so the, that these are the other side of it. The people that are clinging to the narrative to their death, apparently, which, you know, it, it's to their detriment for sure. And then, of course, in general, this is what we're seeing as a telegraph. So also the UK and Israel's genocide. Nah, let's focus on allowing dead transgender people the ability to alter their pronouns posthumously. And no, that's not a joke. This is a real article. Dead people should be able to change their gender. I mean, this is actually what people are talking about in some circles while this kind of stuff is happening, right? Like, I'm not going to get into it today because I feel like it's the least important two things to even talk about. But this is the kind of stuff people focus on while you're dealing with a genocide. You know, while people, the people in East Palestine are literally still getting sick from chemical exposure and it's getting worse and we don't talk about it. Or how about Lahaina? Nobody seems to care about that anymore. Or how about any number of things like glyphosate poisoning you, the injections that are still killing people, or the any number of obvious issues in regard to endocrine disrupting chemicals. These are like immediate real-time problems. How about anabac- uh, um, anabac- um antibiotic resistant drugs or, 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 or uh, pathogens. There's so many real time, bigger problems, or from my perspective, the great reset nanotech kind of uh, un- alarms there, but okay, let's focus on Tucker talking to Putin about things we've all heard a thousand times. Or how about we have Alex Jones interview uh, uh, David Icke and, and completely fumble the entire thing and make it all about himself. Like these are what we're all going to talk about. That's what's important. Yeah. Inside the two party paradigm, maybe. Well, Decentered News points out that you're not going to hear in those circles right now. The ICJ, the International Court of Justice, otherwise, otherwise known as the World Court, will hold six days of public hearings on request for an advisory opinion regarding the legal consequences of Israel's policies and practices in the occupied Palestinian territory. So this is stemming from, I think, an like, aggressive push for people going, hey, guys, they're not listening to you. You did your provisional ruling. This is going to take a year, however long. And in the meantime, they didn't listen. They're still they're They murdered more people in the days following that ruling than they had before the week before that. So they heard you say, stop killing. And they went harder. So this is, I think that's this response. The hearings began on Monday, uh, begin on Monday, February 19th. So nine days from today at the peace palace in the Hague, 52 states. 
So almost like a third of the, well, I think it's what, 193 in, in, the, in the UN, 53 of those states and three international organizations have all expressed their intention to participate. So it's way more than 52 states. I, I think I said three, 52 states that are on the side of the world court. You can see that by the fact that when they voted at the UN, the US had to veto it. And like almost everybody, save for like four or five countries, were actually voting to support Israel. It's very clear that they don't have the support they pretend they do. But this is about 52 states supporting this next move. And either way, it shows you clearly this is not, you're all conspiracy theorists. Now it says the first day, we'll see three hours of oral arguments from the state of Palestine. South Africa will lead off the second day, followed by Algeria. Now, if you didn't see, it was uh, Nicaragua, I think, that just spoke up saying that they're supporting the case. More and more people are coming to support the obvious. The censored news continue to do a great job here. Make sure this says... uh, yeah, same point. So let, let's very quickly point out you have Iran, or rather, excuse me, Syria speaking up to denounce the United States for its vicious aggression against their country and Iraq, which, by the way, killed civilians in the last process. It's funny how nobody cares about that. I mean, you could you could allege that Iran might have been included in something that killed civilians and everybody will talk about it for three weeks. But the U.S. knowingly or rather just specifically by their own action, kill civilians either through disregard or being deliberate and it was illegal because it was an illegal airstrike on a country they're illegally occupying and by the way it's illegal to even bomb something you're occupying on top of that and nobody even batted an eye well they might have been terrorists so who cares right god it's disgusting it says quote the root causes of conflict suffering and instability in our region are the wrongful and destructive policies of the united states And it's blind and unlimited support for the Israeli occupation entity and the atrocities committed by Israel, including the ongoing crime of genocide, along with the U.S. investment in terrorism, as well as spreading chaos and destruction. Get this. This is important because this is exactly the thing that we all need to stop pretending isn't the truth. Besides Israel, he specifically names the groups they're supporting in terrorism in Syria and elsewhere, ISIS, Al-Nusra Front. Hayat Tir al-Sham as being more uh, among the terrorist groups and separatist militias that the U.S. is propping up and helping to commit, quote, the most heinous crimes with impunity. Good. People need to stop, start calling this stuff out. And again, for those that are uncomfortable about this, it's the most American thing you can do to highlight that the rogue entity pretending to fight for you does not represent American values. Your government is not the country. You are the country. Your government is just a, coll- a collection of people that are supposed to be living your, your the living embodiment of your will, but that has long since been the reality. So just, you know, forget the quote. I'm not going to try to find it right now, but the idea being that uh, an ex- a former president, I think it was, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick, actually. It's a good quote. Whoops. So it was... There it is. Nice. Pop right up. The quote is to announce, oh, it's Theodore Roosevelt, to announce that there must be no criticism of the president or that we are, and just, you could think, read just government in general, but this specific quote was about the president, which is actually more relevant to the, you know, kind of gospel, uh, ideologue worship we get from the left and the right. But to announce that there must be no criticism of the president or that we are to stand by the president, right or wrong, is not only unpatriotic and servile, but is morally treasonable to the American public. What a great quote that is. agree. We need to start acknowledging that our government is not acting in our interests, which, by the way, per the Constitution, we have a legal right to alter or abolish it. 
not suggesting that's what we need to do next, but the point is that this is your your constitutional right to, to point this out. And in fact, again, it is your obligation, it is your duty to call out what they're doing in your name. Now, on top of that, just showing you how they're trying to drive this into more and more war, trying to push the U.S. United States, I would argue, to take action, to hide what's ultimately what they're doing and as from the Israeli Zionist government. Israel bombed central Lebanon during an Iranian foreign minister visit. Like, they're trying to incite this into something bigger. Lebanon being bombed in a in, a, in the Kahim village, right? A southern Lebanon village where there are plenty of civilians Israel's just lobbing missiles into. Here we have... Israel bombing civilians in the capital of Lebanon, the capital. And now this is this was um, today, and apparently this was also right after they bombed Syria. People, there's civilians littering the streets, guys. This is what Israel is doing, and nobody seems to care. Do you can you imagine if you got something like this being shown from Tel Aviv or or Washington D.C.? Why is it different? These are human beings, like anybody else we're talking about. But you get the extremist people online that we're going to talk about next who jump in and say, well, they were terrorists. They're Lebanese. They must be bad guys. You know, they they voted for them, right? They support Hezbollah, so they're all, they must be hiding behind human shield. Does it matter? Because apparently you say that loud enough and everyone goes, oh, okay. We'll just ignore that there was no example of that. Well, before we talk about the CIA documents and the point about the Hannibal Directive, here are a few examples of Orthodox Jews telling you that Zionism is not Judaism, that it is a manipulation of the overall point. What's the difference between Judaism and Zionism? Judaism is a religion. Most Rabbeinu Moses, our teacher, went up on Mount Sinai and the Almighty gave him the Torah as a messenger to the Jewish people, which is 613 commandments. And we have to strictly obey these laws, observe these laws, because it was given by God, so we can't change that. So it's exactly just as it was given to Moshe Rabbeinu Moses on Mount Sinai 3,000 years ago. We, what's called Orthodox Jewry, we observe this till today. Zionism is a movement that started around 130, 150 years ago. It's a totally a political, a material uh, movement that has uh, aspirations of like any state in the world, any country in the world, to have a piece of land, a uh, army, and all the stra- trappings of a country. It has nothing, it's void of God in its essence, what it is. And so it's a simple transformation from subservience to God, from religion to nationalism. That's all it is. It's totally different than Judaism, but being that they... Uh, aspire to have a country and to uh, be accepted in the world and they don't have God's morals because they just, it's, it's taking God out of the equation. So they'll do anything to accomplish what they want, which includes using the name Israel, Jacob, using the Star of David, using all the trappings, anything that has to do with Judaism to be able to sell itself to the world that it's godly given to them and that you should uh, support them and so forth. So it's immoral in its essence because it's totally not Judaism, it's a nationalism, yet they're using all the uh, religious issues to uh, solidify, to be able to legitimize their uh, nationhood. Right. <clears throat> now you can disagree with him, right? But of course, anybody saying this, even him, in fact, by someone like Ben Shapiro or the Zionist government, 
would call him an anti-Semite. They literally call him like Ben when the, the Jewish voices for peace were protesting in the ceasefire. All they were calling for was ceasefire. That's it. <clears throat> and he called him trash. I still can't even believe that. Somebody was fought so long to argue that Jewish people are attacked and, you know, that he just calls them trash, immediately attacks Jewish people when they don't toe the line he is. And it's, again, one of the special moments of hypocrisy, how gross that is to me. But the point is, as he says, this is the differences between Judaism and Zionism. Judaism is not, a, is not Zionism. Judaism is a religion. Zionism is a nationalist political movement. Now, very quickly, since I, I am going to go over the future, I just thought this was interesting because I just saw another example of this. Just to rapidly point this out, the show that I was showing you from before is weirdly frozen on Rumble, is the one about Haiti, Congo, and Israel has defeated itself. Now, what's interesting is that was also removed on Instagram under the guise that it was literally praising a terrorist attack, supporting violence against a particular group, or supporting or promoting violence, harmful activity. When what's what's so gross about what, what again, like talking about such an incredibly disgusting inversion of reality as I'm literally calling for violence to end on all sides that nobody should be like, think about how crazy that is. So by me acting like they shouldn't be killed, that gets turned into promoting violence against something else. Meanwhile, we're literally watching these people promote violence against an entire group of people. And me calling that out is called promoting violence. I mean, this is the kind of dangerous situation we find ourselves in. And that's what it says here under their policy. In an effort to prevent and disrupt real world harm, clearly not, we do not allow organizations or individuals that proclaim a violent mission or are engaged in violence. So when the when the Israeli entities speak up and say, we're going to kill these people or we want them to be annihilated, that's okay. But when I say they shouldn't be allowed to say that because they're, oh, they want to kill these people or their own people, oh my God, I am the one spreading violence. You realize how crazy that is. Facebook just removed the same show. Isn't that interesting? And on the same note, I was going to point out, I'll come back to it, I think, in a deeper point. Hive, interestingly enough, I'm being aggressively financially censored. And they even go into it down here where they're going like, well, you don't post anything original, literally under a post that is completely, well, by the way, everything we post on Hive is original, everything. Everything we post there is original content from TLAV. I personally think that these, but basically the way this platform works is they, based on how your, your influence in the platform, you can upvote, downvote, either give or remove funds, right? So you can literally just downvote if you have enough and remove everybody's funds that they might have made, which is what they're doing. A grouping of these large accounts are downvoting literally everything I do, which I don't care about. You make, you know, 10 cents on this. But so I don't make any money and even state in that publicly. And then under a post that I make a point to actually post the content, they still downvote it and tell me I'm not posting original content. My point is, it's very clear. I am being targeted like in every other location because it was the same point in the other post to stop the, for my content. And I think these people, and it started right after I started covering, I'm posting on high for years. Suddenly, I talk about Israel this way, downvote. You're not posting original content, even though every single thing we do is. So I think what's interesting is we're talking about a group who is like memorializing violence against another group, which is calling it something else. And we're trying to highlight the reality of this. And these dying, desperate platforms are constantly trying to not only suppress that coverage, but say our appeals to that, calling out that these are wrong isn't it, in, in fact, the actual call to violence? <laughs> I mean, talk about Orwellian, right? So here's another example. Judaism is not a nationality or a nation. Judaism is the world's oldest religion. Zionism is a distortion of Judaism. This is what they're writing. Judaism is not Zionism. Jews are a religious community, not a nationality or a nation. 
Zionists use Judaism for their own perverted interests. Now, again, you can disagree with that, but this is a group of Orthodox Jews who have every right to have their belief structure and how they view Judaism as much as any other Jew, right? But that's not how this gets framed because they get aggressively attacked. Just look at how many times these very groups get beat up by the IDF for protesting against Zionism or for saying they shouldn't be killing Palestinians. They literally get beat up and locked up like anybody else or ask Ethiopian Jews how they're treated in Israel. It's obviously not about anything but Zionism. Judaism is not nationalism. Judaism is a religious. How more religious you are, the most close to God you are, as most Jew you are. How can this um, um, Zionism, which they hate God, they hate every holy thing. They hate all the Torah. They, all the founders was was denying the Torah, denying God. How can they talk in our names? Is of this Zionist government and the place of this head of the Zionist Air Force, which conducting this war crime by bombarding so many millions of innocent people, they're supposed to be shipped into Hague in Netherlands. That's there is a court, international court for justice for war criminals. That's their place. They should be judged and jailed and receive their punishments, which they, they deserve. It's very important to put them in jail, these war criminals, in order to show that, that there is justice. Palestinian groups, leaders, military groups saying, we have nothing against Jews. We tolerate Jews. We lived with Jews thousands of years together. The 300,000 people left Spain. Where did they live to? China? Japan? Australia? No. They left to Turkey. They left to Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Albania in the Second World War. It was a small Muslim country. And they had a few thousand Jews there. Nazis Germany has occupied Albania. But none single Jew was killed in Albania. You know where the Muslims were hiding the Jews? They were hiding them in mosques, in basements. And this is important, guys, because this goes to the crux of the point, that they're the only thing that created, oh, the only thing, people are people. There's always going to be hatred unnecessarily, irrationally. But the real big picture that became the narrative around why Israel was necessary, the argument that the Arab countries were exterminating the Jews is fundamentally false. And you could prove this by many different examples. People like the Jews discussing this, people like historians discussing the reality. I'll play some clips in a second. Not to say that there weren't any number of things that happened. It's like you could point out that against Christians or any other group. It's, it's not just that no violence existed until it did. The point is it's always been there. The reality, though, is like Iraq or like, like he's discussing here, they actually went out of their way to protect these Jews. And it wasn't until the Zionist element came into play that turned this into Jews were the the, the, the ones that, like, I'll, I'll actually let Avi Shalom explain this the best way, but it's not the reality of it was all, it was Arabs versus Jews, and it wasn't until Israel that became safe, because that's ultimately the narrative. The truth is, as I'll show you, they were willing to sacrifice these, these Jews in these countries in order to get what they wanted and created the dynamic which put them at risk to be able to get what they wanted at their expense. In, 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 in all types of places. And they saved all these 5,000 Jews in Albania. We're going to live together as the same as it was everywhere, as the same as Jews lived in Turkey, Algeria, Morocco, in Iran, till now, peacefully, in harmony, without any problems, inshallah. So quickly, this is where I first saw this. So shout out to Solomon Ahmed, which actually I think... The source was here from this guy, Michael Ray Corey. I'm not familiar with, uh, but th this is this is the person that really shared this. It looks like Solomon Ahmed shared it and tagged him, which is good. That's how we should do this. 
it's important to show to credit people where their work was, you know, where, where it's due. Now, this first, like just a just a screenshot, which I'm surprised that no, well, again, he followed up down below after somebody else. Thank you, Michael, for posting the link. That's that's important. And we'll come back to it, but here's the actual document itself and what it says. Under and this is in regard to a specific point about transforming this uh, Jewish militia into a, like a national army, but it says the Jew oh Jewish agency was what they're calling it. I'll show you this in a second on on the other point. Basically, Zionist the Zionist organization is apparently willing. Well, I'll just read this exactly what they wrote. The Jewish agency is apparently willing to sacrifice the Jews. Exact quote: residing in Arab countries for the cause of the Jewish people as a whole. Now, again, if you're listening to the other Jewish discussions on this or other experts from the time, this was a Zionist entity seeking to create the state of the Jews, but for their own interests, not for the protection of the Jewish people, especially when you realize that they were attacking Jews to drive them to do this. So before we come back to that, let's listen to Avi Shalom tell you what he experienced in his the history he saw around this topic, specifically from Iraq where he grew up. Did not have a Jewish problem in inverted commas. Europe had uh, a Jewish problem. I was born in Baghdad in 1945 to a Jewish family. We were Arab Jews. We spoke Arabic at home. Uh, our culture was Arab culture. Uh, our friends were Arab friends. Uh, in Iraq, the Jews didn't live in ghettos. They lived everywhere, and the Jews were a very positive element in the making of our modern Iraq. They contributed at every level, the economic, the financial, the political, the literary, journalism. Uh, the Jews were a very positive uh, force in uh, Iraqi society. What changed was the creation of, state, of the State of Israel in 1948. Jews have lived in Iraq uh, since the 6th century B.C., two and a half millennia ago, since the time of the Babylonian exile. But the creation of the State of Israel, for the first time, gave a territorial dimension to Zionism, which it didn't have before. Iraqi Jews, whether they liked it or not, were identified with the Zionist movement. Right, and so that's the important part, right? So until Zionism was given the territorial dimensions, he's arguing in general they lived in peace. But when Zionism kind of claimed Judaism, it turned this on its head and created the error because at the, at the time, based on Zionist actions, they were seen as a negative force. The point being that this turned the Jews in the area in some people's eyes into being part of the enemy, as he puts it. Now, yeah, that doesn't, that's not okay or right, just moral, legal for people to suddenly hate the Jewish person because they saw him as part of the Zionist agenda. That's not the point. That's wrong no matter who does it. The point is that Zionists did that on purpose according to the understanding of what we're talking about today. They did this to be able to, you know, in my opinion, use them as we're hearing the Torah Judaism group, Judaism group point out as, you know, to kind of in my, as I see it of like a barrier between what they're doing and the people's perception. So the Jewish people get attacked for what they're doing as opposed to them themselves. And in reality, what's that doing? It's making them more at risk than ever before. And the great majority were non-Zionist. Um, Iraq. All right, so just so you didn't hear, miss that point, he's saying that, you know, despite the fact they were being seen that way, most of them weren't Zionists. But the Zionists abused that. territorial dimension to Zionism, which it didn't have before. 
Iraqi Jews, whether they liked it or not, were identified with the Zionist movement. And the great majority were non-Zionist. Um, Iraq was their homeland. They wanted to stay in Iraq. But after Israel was created, the Jews throughout the Middle East were identified with Israel, with the enemy. Right. The and, that, and that's by design. Now, this is what they did after that to make sure, even the ones that didn't want to leave their country, this is what they did. Turkey Jews were convinced that Israel had a hand in uprooting them. After the 1948 war, there was mounting popular hostility towards the Jews in Iraq. Five bombs exploded in Jewish sites. The series of bombs created a panic which led more and more Jews to register to leave the country. I met an elderly friend of my mother's, uh, an Iraqi Jew called Yaakov Karkukli, who had been in the Zionist underground. One member of his group, Yosef Basri, a very, very intelligent uh, Jewish lawyer, and his assistant, Shalom Saleh Shalom, were responsible for three out of the five bombs. Basri's controller was an Israeli intelligence officer named Max Binet, who was based in Tehran. It's important. Now, you know, there, there will always be those out there who try to only make this about the Jewish people, right? And that's, they, 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 to, to each their own. They can make up any ridiculous, racist, you know, slanted arguments they want. That's, that's, that's called free speech. The reality, though, is especially framing what I might be presenting as somehow one-sided, right? You guys have all heard. We've discussed this many times, right? The obvious reality that there, as Abby Martin has demonstrated, a huge portion of the Jewish population that blindly agree and believe in what the Zionists are doing. Right. So anybody trying to say that I'm only trying to make it about one thing is either not listening or is a liar. Right. So the bottom line is that we can clearly see, as I've said, 1500 times that people have been influenced by that agenda, just like with the U.S., as I've said many, many times, people in the United States are blinded by the war hungry, warmongering U.S. government and believe that's about freedom. It's the same concept. Right. So that's why that's the re the point is to recognize where the manipulation comes from. Does that mean that the average American supporting war should be ignore their no accountability? Of course not. They're responsible for their choices, just like any Jewish person would be supporting Zionism. So to say it's not about any Jew is ridiculous, just like it would be to say it's about all of them. Like, I don't know why this is so complicated for people. I quite frankly think there are some people that are determined to only make this about Jewish people because they're a bad person or because they have an agenda behind it. I don't really know. But we have to acknowledge where this stems from and then acknowledge that people can make their own choices within all of that, right? I think that's very important. Now, here, here is the, the, art, the uh, document again, and this, is, this comes directly from CIA.gov, right? I mean, this, it's, this is as verified as it gets. Now, of course, the CIA could lie. They could post a document that is completely falsified, we could, but we always have to factor that in, right? It's, it's like any other circumstance, this is coming directly from the CIA. And here is the actual breakdown of the post that we'll read through, which comes to this next one. It's right here. It's easier to read. Now, contemplated transformation of uh, Hanaga into army. Now, this is just, this basically just is, and this is the important part about the actual uh, agency. It says, uh, Hagna, ha, uh, how do you pronounce that? It would be Hag Hagna or the defense, was the main Zionist paramilitary organization that operated for the, uh, the, the, Yishu, the uh, how do you pronounce that as well, just kind of like the Jewish community 
in the British mandate for Palestine. It was founded in 1920. It says it became the core force integrated into the Israeli defense forces, which I find really interesting, right? So ultimately, this is a group going all the way back to like pre-state of Israel that is being discussed as the foundational aspect of like the like the military side of this, the militia side of it, which essentially became, again, so a Zionist entity that became the foundational part of the Israeli Defense Forces, which doesn't seem that shocking to me, formed out of previous existing militias. Their, their original purpose was to defend Jewish settlements against Arab attacks, which again, you could argue was, I, there, I, there's plenty of evidence that there were attacks, but what's actually driving that? What was the catalyst for it? This kind of point. Now it says the paramilitary was under the control of the Jewish agency, the official governmental body in charge of Palestine's Jewish community during the British era. Until the end of World War II, their activities were moderate in accordance with, as they're writing in it's Wikipedia, so consider that, in accordance with the strategic policy of self-restraint. <laughs> it says, which, which is just so ridiculous to consider what we know about how, what actually happened there, which caused the breakaway of the more radical paramilitaries the Ergun Party and the Lehigh Party, which are the, you know, or some of the foundational aspects of the Zionism that guide what they're doing today. I mean, they literally give people a Lehigh pin today, even though that group was kind of distanced from in the beginning. I mean, these are the groups, as we'll show you again, as Dan uh, Cohen points out, trying to align themselves with Nazi Germany. I mean, you could look that up on Wikipedia. It's public. What's interesting is that this is at a point when they were basically saying, you know, expressing at least the desire for self-restraint about being more moderate. And these groups broke off because they didn't want that. It's kind of very, very clear, I would say. And it says that they, the, uh, the group, Haganah, leading a Jewish insurgency against the British authorities in Palestine, the campaign included the paramilitaries' bombings of bridges, railways, ships, which we've talked about many times, terrorist activity, as well as assigning, assisting in bringing more uh, diaspora Jews to Palestine in defiance of British policies bombing in order to make that happen in many cases, including British entities. Shortly after the beginning of the 48 war, it was merged with other paramilitary groups and reorganized into the official military force of the state of Israel. I think, I think that's very, very clear in my opinion. So considering this in general, that's the group, that's the, you know, militia. What they're discussing here in 1947 was about, like almost officially making this into something and, and they discuss shipments, weapons, and so on. Now it says approved for release as a result of a conversation with two key officials of the Jewish agency reported that the Jewish agency is contemplating the transformation of the flagana into a regular army structure, which I don't know if that's a, another term for the same thing or it's a different typo. Or, I'm not sure, but that, you know, it doesn't look like there's typos in this. And this is a real, this is directly from their website. It says the army will reportedly consist of possibly two divisions of ton or, or 12,000 troops, which is interesting. The agency claims their source of manpower is inadequate uh, uh, and inferred that arrangements are being made for the importation of heavy equipment. The reaction of the Jewish agency is one of fear. It says the possibility of British military withdrawal from Palestine. I just love that. The agency has allegedly admitted that the Jewish settlements located in non-Jewish areas will be in severe danger if the settlements are not evacuated. So saying that the Jewish settlements located in non-Jewish areas. Well, I mean, doesn't that seem like an obvious, not necessarily in danger, but you're talking about settlements that are within other groups, other, other areas. 
like the idea of occupying Palestine and claiming it for your own. And then people are unhappy with that. I mean, why is that such a hard thing to wrap your mind around? But this is, of course, not about politics, not about what's right. It says, if their settlements are not evacuated, it's predicted that they will be annihilated. But agency officials have expressed the belief that they'll be able to withstand attack until they're equipped with artillery, tanks, aircraft. Showing you the CIA was clearly backing the Zionist agenda is the point, in my, as I see it. Now it says the Jewish agency is apparently willing to sacrifice Jews residing in Arab countries for the cause of Jewish people as a whole. I just think that's really important to factor into what they're dealing with today. Now, on top of that, these groups, specifically in this case, the Lehigh Party, who, by the way, the oldest reservist they were parading around in the beginning was a oldest living member of that party who openly said, we should kill them all. The animals can no longer live and all of that. Twice, twice tried to align themselves with Nazi Germany, as he points out, even after the final solution had begun. I just don't know how you cannot, can factor that reality in, which is a public, obvious reality. And not, and then also the fact that was, we just played for you, that they were bombing their own people, that they stay, the CIA secretly stated in their own documents, they were willing to kill their own people, to either kill or sacrifice their own people to get what they wanted. Now, what they wanted couldn't have been too, too much about, I mean, I, look, if you're trying to align yourself with the Nazi party, even after they're doing the thing that you later point to to justify why you should exist, there's a problem there. I think that's quite obvious. Now, he also points out in regard to the major point. So if that's the case, then is it still the case now? And I think we're watching it play out. Here's a video as we played for you before. I'll play a different one today. Report containing the account of both these survivors which give the clearest evidence that Israel did use the Hannibal Directive. Oh, and I'll, I'll grab this too since we brought this up in the past couple shows about this topic, that Netanyahu's own son was caught on a, on a Telegram channel claiming that the procedure of the Hannibal Directive was not done enough. Basically, they didn't. It says the planes that were supposed to be on the air in Gaza border were supposed to destroy everything that moves there, and thus we would not have these many prisoners. Otherwise, meaning they would have killed them before they got taken to be used against them, which is the whole point about the Hannibal Directive. That's the whole point. So this is a report, as you probably have seen many times, breaking this down, which is almost impossible to deny. But I want to play this one again. I've played it before, but I think this is really powerful to understand not just the idea that they have killed their own people, that, that countless examples, people test. I mean, this is what's so crazy about this story in particular. I've never seen a better sourced concept. The, the security head from the kibbutz that was that was attacked, right? Tank drivers, helicopter drivers, a colonel in their military have all publicly admitted that the Hannibal Directive was being done. Haaretz has broken down the story and admitted its reality. Or in, on the same point, this video goes over as well, the atrocity propaganda that many people have admitted were lied to. The media walked these things back. Some of the people that made these statements have walked them back, which we'll get into in a minute, including the woman who just said a girl came back from Gaza with 67 different sperms. And that's how we know she was raped. She came back the next day and said, I was wrong. That was not true. Doesn't stop the people are still pretending like that's the case right now. I'm going to show you again how many large accounts were sharing that without any due diligence. This is the problem. And they just lie after. I've never seen it this obvious and as well, well-sourced. It's not like this is some inside anonymous source from the intelligence like, like your media gives you every day. We're talking to real people from the ground. And I mean, I just, you guys get the point. <laughs> it's just 
the most obvious thing in the world. That's why this, I think, is why there's so much desperation. Seen this video. Inside, we find, we found uh, eight babies burned in this corner. An Israeli soldier conducts an interview in front of a destroyed home. Really quick, by the way, I haven't even addressed that one. Remember, the point is now that they've only, overall, it turned out to be only one child, the age they're discussing. Overall. And yet he just said eight babies in there, along with the 40 beheaded babies they mentioned, and the one that came out of the woman's stomach, or the one that was in the oven, or the 15 on the clothesline. Turns out, as we all know now, those were all lies. You can't, there's only one, so apparently there wasn't whatever that adds up to. It just, think about how disgusting that is. They're not saying I was told, they're saying I saw that, and they're lying. Of a kibbutz. He says Hamas fighters burned babies and then beheaded them, but this is all a lie, and I'm going to prove it to you using Israeli media. Yes, that is right, Israeli media. But first, let's ask an important question. How did the concrete walls of this home behind the soldier turn into rubble? Fires burn wood and other flammable items. They do not collapse concrete structures like this. Children in the same room, then someone come and kills them all. 15 girls and teenagers that put in the same room, 308 and it's over. This is a massacre. Now the Israelis want you to believe that Hamas fighters did this, but we know that they were only armed with machine guns and small grenade launchers. That doesn't cause this level of damage. So then how did they destroy concrete homes like this? The answer Answer is they didn't. The Israelis did. What? That is shocking. But why? And how would the Israelis do that? Well, Israeli media has all the answers. They interviewed the IDF soldiers who responded to the Hamas attack, and they learned something shocking. The IDF was struggling to handle the Hamas fighters. Tuval Escapa, or however you pronounce his name, a member of the security team for Kibbutz Bieri, set up a hotline to coordinate between Kibbutz residents and the Israeli army. He told the Israeli newspaper Haaretz that as desperation began to set in, the commanders in the field made difficult decisions, including shelling houses on their occupants in order to eliminate the terrorists along with the hostages. These reports indicate that orders came down from the military's high command to attack homes and other areas inside Israel, even at the cost of many Israeli lives. According to Haaretz, the army was only able to restore control over Bieri after admittedly shelling the homes of Israelis who had been taken captive. The price was terrible. At least 112 residents were killed, according to the paper. Others were kidnapped. Now, much of the shelling in Bieri was carried out by Israeli tank crews. As a reporter for the Israeli Foreign Ministry-sponsored outlet I-24 noted during a visit to Bieri. Small and quick homes bombarded or destroyed, children's toys lying around while maintained lawns of grass ripped up by the tracks of an armored vehicle, perhaps a tank, perhaps a tank, perhaps a tank. In other words, the IDF, in an act of desperation, decided to just kill everyone, including hostages. This is their words, not mine. In fact, Yasmin Porat, an attendee of the Nova Music Festival, who fled into the kibbutz, told Israeli radio that when Israeli special forces arrived during a hostage standoff, they, quote, eliminated everyone, including the hostages, because there was very, very heavy crossfire. <laughs> כי היה שם חילופי ירי מאוד מאוד קשים, חילופי אש מטורפים, אפילו שני פקזים של טנק שירו לתוך הבית, שזה בית קיבוצי קטן, זה לא איזה אירועים יותר חדשות. She goes on to describe how Hamas militants tied her partner's hands behind his back. She saw her partner lying on the ground, still alive. She went on to say that Israeli security forces killed him and other hostages as they opened fire on the remaining militants inside, including with tank shells. <laughs> Okay. 
This is why you see large bits of shrapnel and bullet holes in the walls of destroyed kibbutz homes. It's why you see homes turn into rubble. And sadly, it's why you find severely burnt bodies of Israeli hostages. But there's more. The IDF also used Apache attack helicopters. In an interview with Israeli media outlet Mako, an Apache pilot admitted that many of the cars he fired rockets at contained hostages. But wait, there's even more. Israeli security forces also opened fire on fleeing Israelis whom they mistook for Hamas gunmen. A resident of Ashkelon named Danielle Rachel described nearly being killed after escaping from the Nova Music Festival when it was attacked by militants. As we reached the roundabout at a kibbutz, we saw Israeli security forces, she recalled. We held our heads down because we automatically knew they'd be suspicious of us in a small beat-up car from the same direction the terrorists were coming. Our forces began shooting at us. Lastly, let's discuss how an IDF commander ordered an airstrike on his own position. The very first target the Palestinian fighters attacked was the Erez checkpoint. The attack was so fierce that the IDF commander, Avi Rosenfeld, in an act of desperation, he called for an airstrike on his own position. The IDF bombed their own base in order to kill the Palestinian militants. So what should we take from all this? Do we absolve Hamas of their actions on October 7th? Of course not. None of this would have happened had they not attacked. Now, whether or not they have the right to resist occupation and apartheid with the use of force is a topic for another video. But the point of this video is to highlight how the IDF's poor response and performance led to the deaths of their own people. As several Israeli hostages have already made clear, the Palestinian militants were kind to them despite the aggression. And as the Nova survivor Yasmin Porat put it, she believes the militants didn't want to kill them. She believes their goal was to take them back to Gaza as hostages. The entire point of the attack seems to be the capturing of Israelis as hostages in order to trade them for thousands of Palestinian political prisoners. And in the chaos that ensued, many people lost their lives. Now, some people say, who cares how it went down? People died. Babies died. Is that not awful? Well, of course it is. But the reason we have to cut through Israeli propaganda is because it's being used to justify acts of genocide in Gaza. Israelis believe deep down to their core that their babies were beheaded, that their women were raped and tortured before being killed. And this simply isn't true. And even with Israeli media reporting the facts, they may never change their minds. Right. But the rest of the world needs to know the truth because it is the world that has given Israel the green light to commit acts of atrocity in Gaza. And there's growing concern of an escalation that may erupt into a greater regional conflict. So share this video and help spread the facts. Yeah, I agree. It's a great video. And I, th I, I genuinely think that that, you know, every, I mean, it's, it's, it's important that we acknowledge this truth like the other truth we're talking about. This is a verifiable reality. And we have to be, and even, as he said, even just through lack of action, it's a green light for Israel. Now, here is one of the clips from the cradle. As you can see him, uh, you know, speaking on the record, this is a colonel, Colonel Erez describing, quote, a mass cannibal when discussing all of these and, and argues that's what this was. I mean, you just can't ignore this stuff. So it's very obvious that whether you want to go back to the origins of this Zionist government, where they're willing to sacrifice their own people for what they're trying to achieve, I don't think it's any different to realize that's exactly what we're watching take place right now. Now, on that note about the lies, right, the atrocity propaganda used to hide this, well, here's another real-time example, which I really just can't believe how fast this is happening. And as he says, people just still towing those lines, keep towing the lines. Remember, she, this is, this is uh, Sandra Ifra, who just came out 
It's right. This was the original. I wasn't able to get it to translate, which it ultimately said. Oh, I didn't save the, uh, hold on. Oh, here it is. It says there was a Hamas hostage in whom 67 different sperm were found inside of her. Now it's immediately being deleted by everybody because it's false. And she just admitted I regularly receive dozens of testimonies. I depend on rumors under the influence of emotion. Oh, but you didn't say that when you publicly discussed this on the show, which here was here. This is the YouTube, my, the show from the Haiti fights and Western exploitation. The weirdly, the one that's being censored all over the place where she was on a French corporate show, corporate media, gigantic. Did she say might be? Did she say rumor? Did she say unverified? No. She said there was a Hamas hostage in whom 67 sperm were found inside her. And that went like wildfire because everyone's desperate for the one thing that's going to prove the allegations that have yet to be proven. But doesn't that show you something in its own right? Yes, that there's no evidence to back up these allegations. And the, they jump on a flimsy, unproven claim that's almost cartoonish in its own right. And it turns out to be false. So she comes out the next day on Twitter and says, oh, I, I wasn't true. Surprise, surprise. The story about 67 different types of sperm was a lie, according to the woman who shared this lie on corporate media, that she was misled. And now Zionists will simply jump to the next lie to defend as fact. Here's the original tweet. I regularly receive dozens of testimonials and information under the influence of emotion as I left the tribute. I relayed, I relayed rumors on the microphone. It was a mistake. I apologize. It will be particularly vigilant, or I we will be vigilant in the future. You don't just casually make that mistake. That was not by accident. Either from somebody pushing her to do it or she meant to do it. Bottom line is you that's a huge and content. I mean, that's inflammatory. Everybody would know that that was going to go everywhere. That's a huge claim. You don't just casually say that. That was either seated to you for an obvious reason or you're part of this lie. That's how I would look at this. Now, the point is, this person, Dr. Funju, who should already blocked me, by the way, because she was one of the people really pushing this. Linguist, economist, political scientist, you know, human rights lawyer. Yeah, clearly. She says, one of these hostages, a 13-year-old girl, had to have an abortion. Also, now, it's a whole part of the story that wasn't, so it's a fake story, mind you. So where'd you find out about the abortion? You're just making things up? Or did you get that from some other rumor that you didn't verify? Has an abortion after she was freed from these savages. Oh, so they're savages now. Another woman was examined with traces of 67 sperm. Lie after lie after lie. Just compounding on the lies. Jumping on the new narrative because it's going to get you clicks. I don't know. This is what Hamas does. This is what pro-Palestinian demonstrators are complicit. Based on a lie. This person says, I really doubt this. And this person goes, I'm looking into it. The article is very, no. oh, hold on now. So you come up and proudly state this is fact, and then in your next week, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm making, I haven't even verified it yet. This is the state of the Twitter files journalism that's happening today. He says, so there's no point denying rape. So if you do, you have a very nasty moral company. Okay, so now you can't deny it even though you haven't verified it? That's really intelligent. But he says, do your due diligence and get your sources in order. Until then, maybe don't post it as breaking until you're still, in fact, looking into it. Thank you. Person says, I don't need to be lectured by somebody whose country is funding UNRWA. See the point? These people are so emotional and so blinded by the talking points. They, I mean, either you're a liar or you just don't care about the facts because you're so invested in the narrative. Nobody should be listening to anybody like this. Reading your timeline, I would suggest you check your sources, idiot. Yeah, she's wrong. 
that didn't that didn't age well, did it? And that's why I posted that, and she immediately blocked me. Which I'll just show you real quick. So here's the original on the way back machine, just in case you need some kind of verification that it did get stated as absolute fact. Now, my point was to show, I look this up and you can just scroll through here and look, th- these are some. Now, if you, if you look for just 67 sperm or whatever, you'll get a hell of a lot more. But these are the ones I just want you to remember, the people that verbatim grabbed the quote, posted it, move forward. These are, I mean, this is 60,000 followers for some magazine, some editor, writer. Like, and there's a lot of these people. This one's got 30,000 followers. An international relations analyst, writer and speaker of Northwest University. These are people who are blindly sharing this because it aligns with what they want to believe. And they were wrong. And they still didn't delete tweet. They just, the post has been deleted, so it's not there anymore. This person, oh, I was, I was going to play this again in case you didn't see it at the beginning. On, in response to this, it's just a good quote right now to hear from Lawrence Wilkerson, chief of staff to Colin Powell. They lie about everything. With I, let, me, let me preface these remarks with I never, never, ever believe Israeli figures. I've been in the government too long to know that the Israelis are patent liars in their intelligence community, in their propaganda community, certainly, and in their leadership. They are inveterate liars. Let me say that again. They are liars. So you can't believe anything that comes out of Jerusalem. It's all propaganda. Now, of course, because they've gone to the point to argue that, well, this is the Jewish state. Well, therefore, you're attacking Jews when you say that. You see how that game is supposed to work? Except he's not, though. He's talking about Israeli politicians. And you could try to, and even if you want to argue that every Israeli politician is a Jew, it doesn't change the fact that he's not making it about their religion or their nationality. He's talking about the fact that the government of this country lies as a matter of policy. It's the same point I would make about the United States. Except when you call out a U.S. politician, they don't call you anti-Christian, though, do you? Or whatever other religion you think might make, make sense, because it's stupid. But this is how this has been constructed, so that you can't accuse them of anything other without being called a racist. It used to work really well. Start not to work so much anymore. But his point is that Israeli politicians lie. I think that's very obvious right now. Here is a member, a, a, uh, I forget her name off the top of my head, uh, uh, Nalidi Pandor, the, the one of the most prominent members of the South African case against Israel, spoke up and made a point about how she is being threatened online everywhere. And so she's taking measures to protect her family. And this is what happens when you call out the Zionist agenda. I think we're all kind of feeling that right now. Minister Taylor, because of various messages I was getting, um, and I felt that you know, it would be better if we had a extra security. Uh, but uh, what I'm more concerned about is my family, because in some of the social media messages, my children are mentioned and so on. So, uh, you know, but this is part of the course. Uh, the Israeli uh, agents, uh, intelligence services, is how they behave, and they seek to intimidate you. So we must not be intimidated. There is a cause that is underway. The people of the world and of Palestine didn't draw back when the apartheid state was at its worst. They stood with the liberation movement. So we can't stand back now. We must be with them. And I think one of the things we must not allow is a failure of courage. It's extremely important that we continue with this. We talk to the South African people. They understand why it is we have taken up this moral course. Yeah. You know, 
I'm, I'm, you know, it's hard in general. I mean, the point is any human being is going to have their faults. They're going to have things you like. We should be skeptical, question everything always, but that never means dismiss everything. My point in saying that is watching somebody like her speak, it gives me the feeling like this is a real, genuine person who is actually fighting for something good. That does exist, guys. And the point is that this is crazy that somebody like this who is going out of their way in a set, I mean, what's the benefit to her? Of course, they want to say she just secretly hates Jews, and that's the best they got. The point is that she's fighting for a people's self-determination because of their history of South Africa and because of her own personal trials and tribulations, and she's fighting for oppressed people. And it's, it's, it's just refreshing to see somebody stand up for nothing to fight for people who need it. And then she gets attacked. They call her racist. They call her a secret anti, anti-Semitic, you know, blah, 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 blah. And sadly, a lot of prominent in, uh, people with authority and influence latch onto it and attack her the same because they're blinded by their own politics. It just makes me sad because, I, you know, who knows? Like I said in the beginning, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But everything about that person, to me, gives me the sense that they're genuine and actually fighting at their own expense for other people. What else? What are we here for if not to support that? This is how Israeli agents behave, and they seek to intimidate you. So we must not be intimidated. Here, here. Now, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, I'm not familiar with. Oh, he's an IDF spokesman because of Hamas, October 7th. Basically says five times, and then pauses for dramatic effect. Five times. Pauses again. I've seen the 47-minute documentary of the massacre of Hamas committed on October 7th five times. Okay, enough dramatic impact so far with journalists, government officials, diplomats, and with the Jewish community leaders. I wonder if he was there with Owen Jones, who disagrees with what you claim shows. But he says, with journalists, no, today, with after the last screening I saw, which I don't know why you would want or need to see a grotesque snuff film that has been lied and manufactured to present a very certain narrative around things that you can't discern without that narrative five times. That's pretty disgusting, if you want my honest opinion. I don't know why anybody would want to watch this one time, because quite frankly, you're looking at a bunch of gory nonsense that doesn't make any sense without their framing it. And we've now proven that they've used things that we can prove did not happen that day, including the image of a woman from 2022 that they still use to argue somebody was raped, still to this very day, which we can prove is from 2022, or any number of examples where they've been caught lying about things they claim they can see and or claiming that this video shows things that even people like Owen Jones with The Guardian came out and said, no, it did not. Five times you want to watch this thing over and over and ultimately does not. The point was that you can show a bloody crib and then give all the context you want. Any number of people could have framed that scene, lied about it or done the actual killing. I'm not saying I can prove that, but what we have so far proves that they're very capable of that. They have lied about the most grotesque things you could possibly imagine, and we've proven that they did kill their own people. So what's what would stop them from framing the scene a little bit more after killing those people? I mean, really think about that. But he says it's extremely hard to see any humanity in Gazans. So this is the point they keep making, that they went out, they were bending over backwards in the beginning to make sure you thought that they were only going after Hamas and we're fighting to help these Gazan innocent people, right? And then like within 10 seconds, they were going out of their way to try to secondarily make sure you thought they were just as gross. So when they ultimately killed them, as they were planning to, you were like, well, we didn't tell you that, but we seeded enough narratives to make you think that they were all just, just as bad, just beneath them. Maybe not Hamas, but terrorists though, bad guys. Because they support them, they fund them, they voted for them, they're hiding with them, they won't leave. 
on and on. I found this book in their rooms and they've got pictures. And all of that stemming through the funnel of what the IDF claims they saw. Oh, here's some chemical weapons instructions, right? Here's a, here's a book on how to kill people. Here's written instructions on how to rape people. One, two, three. Nobody believes this stuff other than people towing these lines. And most of that's been proven to have been blatant lies. His point, though, is it's hard to see anybody over there as human. Why? Because they celebrated when a group that was fighting for their resistance, at least in some capacity, resisted. To argue that the people in the middle of Gaza somehow knew what was going on in the middle of Israel while this was happening is just fundamentally flawed. You don't know what's going on. In fact, it's a deliberate lie to make it about them cheering for rape, even though rape didn't happen, right? Based on what we can prove. See how broken this whole thing becomes? And now every Gazan anywhere, how about this? How about if they cheered anyway? Now you just argue that they should all die because they cheer. Like, what about Americans cheering for the invasion of Iraq? Is that not the same thing? What about Israelis cheering for the bombing of Gaza? Like, you guys are gross hypocrites. I mean, that in the sense of like grossly a hypocrite. But rationalizing the just, justifying the murder of innocent people, great thing for a member of the military to do, right? Well, here's the point. He's claiming all oh, this proved everything, all the videos are so showing you what they're doing. Owen Jones, don't forget, went there, watched it, and said, no proof of beheaded babies, no proof of mosquito and killing children, no proof of rape, all of which we've secondarily proven by now, no proof of beheading humans alive in general, and even showing within their propaganda video that Hamas members were asking civilians whether they were soldiers or not. How does any of that line up with their narrative? Now, you can watch it. It's only 20 minutes, 25. Owen Jones from The Guardian breaking this down very clearly. And he said he called a journalist from the UK, called him from the US and night and asked them, are you, did you see this stuff? I didn't see any of that. They agreed. It wasn't there. So you, that means you've got people like this who five times have lied and five times have pretended to see things that weren't there and five times have towed the atrocity propaganda for the government. Well, here is one more video about these lies showing you the investigation, the breakdown from this group, as it says in the past two months. Media reporters have spread have spread about lies about Al-Qasim Brigade's fighters committing rape October 7th. In this video, you'll see the reports published and the, the gaps in them concluding the false rape claims. It's got it's gonna have the uh subtitles. So for the podcast, I might point out some things, but I don't want to read the whole thing. So just for the podcast, if you want to check out the video itself, there's the uh, Subtitles beneath it. كيف استخدمت حماس العنف الجنسي في السابع من أكتوبر؟ حماس اختصبت وشوهت أجساد النساء في السابع من كيف استخدمت حماس سلاح العنف الجنسي في السابع من أكتوبر؟ Three of dozens of None of the articles relied on any actual evidence that rape had been committed at all. Now, to be clear, as I said every time, that does not then mean it didn't. But aren't we all supposed to be like foundationally caring about whether it was ev evidence behind these claims? Like, at what point did we... Like, it's amazing that anybody would argue we're supposed to accept that claim without evidence because narrative. Isn't, I mean, it did. It's just juvenile.
استندت اما الى تحقيقات الشرطه الاسرائيليه او الى عناصر بجيش الاحتلال الاسرائيلي، صحيح الجيش نفسه اللي عم يرتكب اباده جماعيه حاليا بقطاع غزه، او على شهادات لاشخاص سمعوا من اشخاص اخرين عن حصول هذه الجرائم، لا وجود لاي تقرير للطب الشرعي، ولا وجود لاي تحقيق محايد طيب خلينا نرجع شوي لبعض التقارير اللي نشرت حول الموضوع بالاعلام الغربي. ب 10 ديسمبر تنشر مجله نيويوركر مقابله مع هذا السيف من منظمه معالجون من اجل حقوق الانسان في اسرائيل. منظمه اسرائيليه سبق ونشرت ورقه بحثيه حول جرائم الاغتصاب المفترضه خلال عمليه طوفان الاقصى. المقابله بتقول هذا السيف انه معدي التقرير لم يلتقوا باي ناجيه من جرائم الاغتصاب، انما استندوا بشكل اساسي على فيديوهات منشوره على منصه تيليجرام. ب 28 ديسمبر صحيفه نيويورك تايمز الأمريكية بتنشر تحقيق طويل من 3500 كلمة تدريجياً بتخبرنا الصحيفة أنه لم تلتقي بأي ناجية أنه المحققين لم يرفعوا عينات السائل المنوي عن I just don't know how you as a writer or editor think that that, I mean, either you've accepted that you don't actually do journalism or you somehow have contorted your reality into thinking that you're supposed to accept their statement as absolute fact and wait for the evidence after you publish. That's, I mean, this is why people are gravitating towards independent media. No autopsies, nothing. So the point there for the podcast was important is that one prominent case They claim she was raped, and the family came out and disputed the entire allegation. There's no, and, and the point was that it, that came out through Israeli media. And a lot of these, even, even on Haaretz, they come out in Hebrew, and it, you search for it, it, you don't find it. And so the point here is that in the, Amer, in the Western sphere, which is what most of us is aimed at, you get the narrative, and then the response you don't see. Even though it's predominantly running through all the corporate channels in Israel, and they all now realize that they were lied to, but then the West continues believing these things happened. Because that's really the main objective here is Netanyahu's aiming all this at you, because most of these people hate him anyway. It's always been aimed at you. صحيفة The Guardian البريطانية بتنشر بدورة تقرير عن الموضوع نفسه بالتقرير بتقول أنه كل الضحايا دفنوا على عجل ولم يحصل أي تشريح للجثث مهم كتير نعرف أنه العنف الجنسي يستخدم بالحروب كسلاح منذ ألف السنين مهم نعرف أنه النساء هن أكثر من يدفعن الثمن خلال النزاعات المسلحة ولكن ليش في صعوبة بتصديق الاتهامات الإسرائيلية؟ التسليح هيدي هي الكلمة السحرية تسليح القضايا هو استخدام قضايا عادلة ومحقة بسبيل تبرير ارتكاب جرائم ومجازر وهيدا تحديدا لاسرائيل بتعمله من 75 سنه من لحظه اسرائيل بتصور نفسها كبقعه من النور وسط الظلام العربي تصور نفسها ككيان حضاري كامتداد ومراه للغرب وسط مجموعه من البرابره نحن العرب يعني كريه النساء كريه الحريه وكريه كل ما هو مختلف بهيدا الادعاءات اسرائيل مش عم بتخاطبنا الا نحن العرب اسرائيل عم بتخاطب Exactly. That's exactly what I was just saying. That all of this is aimed at the Western mind because that's what this is really aimed at manipulating.
خيال الشاب الغربي اللي عبر عن موقفه بشكل كثير واضح بالساحات وعلى مواقع التواصل الاجتماعي عبر عن تضامنه مع غزه تخاطب خيال المؤسسات الدوليه لتبرير استمرار المجازر بعد أربعة اشهر من حرب الاباده بعد 26000 شهيد 70% منهم من النساء والاطفال اسرائيل مصره على تحويل النقاش اسرائيل مصره على ازاحه الضوء عن جريمتها الكبرى بغزه نحو اتهامات هولميه بتصور نفسها فيها كضحيه بوجه وحوش عرب قاتلي اطفال ومختصبي نساء ولكن نحن بنعرف كثير منيح انه هيدا تكتيك استعماري تحديدا استخدام اتهامات الاغتصاب بلا اي دليل تكتيك استخدمته كل القوى الاستعماريه What you're saying for the podcast is this is what colonial powers do And we've seen this before. Let's not forget the United States is also a colonial power, right? That's, that's how this country started. The point is, was, were people being raped in, in Libya? No, that was a fabricated story. Were people, were people being raped in the, with, from Russia using Viagra? No, that was also a fake story. And that was even admitted by the Ukrainian who put that story out there. And yet it still gets flipped around. And so from story to story to story, we get the same recycled narratives. And yet we can't. And the point, the problem is that the average person is like, well, that, didn't they lie about this last time? But then a, mo- a lot of them get, swayed by the talking heads of the two-party paradigm, right? The Tuckers of the world out there come out and sell you on one thing and it goes forward again, right? I mean, the idea is we already know they've been lying about this stuff over and over and over and it does it again. And if we were, if there was just, if there wasn't the two-party illusion dividing people in these talking points, I think most people would at least get wind of the other narrative and consider what we have to say. But people are so tribal about this today and I get that's by design. عبر التاريخ لقمع الشعوب المستعمرة هيدا مش رأيي هيدا التاريخ هيك بيقول I agree Now let's talk about a couple let's see where we're at okay good let's talk about a couple more examples and, and really this one to show you that this is not new this is actually really important to see this as a parallel now if you watch this video right now and I didn't tell you this from 2014 you might not realize you might think this was happening today Because it's identical to what's going on. And what's important is it's about a story that we all actually know how it turned out. Remember the story about the four children that were murdered on the beach while they're playing soccer by Israeli drones? We, the story has fleshed out to the point to where it was a crime. The investigation by Human Rights Watch and others proved that there was no military object. They claim that they were, the point is it turns out it was some kind of air container they claimed was some kind of storage for Hamas that they bombed already. The children were on the beach playing, ran in or around that area, and then because of that forward, they chased them down with drones and killed them. Me, even though they clearly, as they will tell you with their technological advancements, could have clearly seen that they were children. But their argument was, well, we mistook them for Hamas because they were near that area. The investigation has proven that there was no military object. These were murdered. These kids were assassinated. Because they were children, likely because they were playing in an area that they weren't supposed to be in or however the narrative goes. But this is how they responded. Tell me this is not identical to what you're hearing today. And then realize that it did not start on October 7th. Regev, the operation that you're engaged in is... Same guy, too. Same guy. Protective edge. And its stated purpose is to protect Israeli civilians. Uh, How does killing children on a beach contribute to that purpose? Well, it doesn't. You have sophisticated ships offshore there with some of the best and most uh, forensic sighting and uh, visual capacity. It's pretty hard to confuse boys running around with a ball on a beach. Well, 
Let me be clear here. The, the story with these four boys is a tragedy. You can't look at those pictures and, and not be moved. But let's. I mean, just think about how gross it is to say that. And then, have, you know, this wasn't in a vacuum or there wasn't even one time. This was constant. Far less than what we're seeing today, obviously. But it was constant. And people like us were screaming about this every other day. Well, they're bombing this. They're assassinating that. They're another illegal settlement. It's always the same. You know, well, it's a tragedy and we're going to look into it. And we're Or from the U.S.'s side. Well, we've raised the issue, and we're going to ask them, we'll do more better next next time. And, you know, okay. <laughs> do you actually care? No, you just state the same old narratives and let it keep going. Let's be clear. The Israeli military does not target civilians. It does not target children. And I don't believe the person who, uh, if it wasn't Israeli, who fired and, and killed those four boys knew that they were children. Oh, really? Well, let's contrast that with an example that they also pretend wasn't exactly what it looked like. But imagine trying to pretend this video is not exactly what it looks like. I point this out every time how they say we couldn't verify this, even though it's one of the most verifiable videos that we've ever seen. Very clearly Israelis aiming at a child on the other side of the fence. Like, are we going to pretend like you can... A Palestinian will be able to get on the side of the fence. <laughs> anyway, you've seen this before. There's a small child there. It says. So they're they're trying to shoot him this whole time. How does he bend over every time? Not the pink, the blue. Why the Sirton? Yes. Ben Shalzona. Kind of a horror, they call him. Popping off random shots as they run up to try to save the dead child they just killed. These are the snipers, the same ones we're seeing shoot kids, they're trying to get water. The same snipers we're seeing, they've been doing this long before October 7th. Right, okay, so back to his point. Do you not kill children? Do you not target civilians? Let's not forget, we've got generals on the record who have said that they were ordered to kill children. It's just the point is that people just haven't, they've ignored this stuff for so long. Today, it's changing. But we have to retroactively look back at all the examples we already have, apply that to the situation. We don't need to wait for another, you know, however many more murders to make sense of what's happened. They have a whole 75 years of doing this. It makes me sick. And these, and again, here's the investigation. Airstrike deaths raise concerns on ground. Well, this is a combination, but just see, so there's two that we had. This one, just to make it quick. After Israeli missiles killed boys on a beach and repeatedly struck a well-marked hospital, not new either, one can only be gravely concerned for the safety of civilians caught up in the ground offensive. The attacks Human Rights Watch investigated include a missile attack that killed four boys on a Gaza City pier and wounded three others. Multiple streak strikes over several days on a hospital for paralyzed and elderly patients. An attack on a media worker's car and four previously documented strikes. In many, if not all, of these cases, Human Rights Watch found no evidence of a military target. Oh, where's the investigation? Where's the, where's the war tri crimes tribunal? Oh, guess we didn't do that. Israeli forces' failure to direct attacks at a military target violates the laws of war. Not maybe, not could, 
does. Nobody cares. Israeli forces may also have knowingly or recklessly attacked people who were clearly civilians, such as young boys, civilian infrastructure, including a hospital, laws of war violate violations, laws of war violations that are indicative of war crimes. Okay, so here's what he had to say again. It's pretty hard to confuse. Well, let me be clear here. The, the story with these four boys is a tragedy. You can't look at those pictures and, and not be moved. But let's be clear. The Israeli military does not target civilians. It does not target children. Now, obviously, you're going to say that. I mean, especially if you do target civilians and do target children, right? But here's another one, just in case. And this is just a couple. It's endless, the amount of human rights groups that have called this out. This is October 20th, 2023. The one I've shown you before. Damning evidence of war crimes as they wipe out entire families. All of this has been present from the very beginning. So everybody knows, everybody doesn't care. That's the true reality of this. The Bidens, the Fred, the Macron, they don't care. This is present. They know what's happening. They don't care. Just between the 7th and 12th of October, 2023, they had five cases where they could prove, and they did prove, that they did not take precautions to spare civilians, or they carried out indiscriminate attacks that also killed civilians, or they deliberately targeted civilian objects. Just in those few days, that should have ended. That should have been over. Nope. You're, we're, the groups that used to say things about this, the U.S. government, the, not when you're calling out Israel. Of course not. Here's another one from the next month. Horrifying cases of torture and degrading treatment of Palestinian detainees, both in, in the occupied territories of West Bank and Gaza, as well as the larger occupied area that is called Israel. That's the reality. I could give you 14 more examples coming from all the groups that they would otherwise tell you you have to abide by but not when it calls out Israel. Here's Dan Cohen. We've shown you this one already from December 21st, 2023. He, a UN human rights office reports that Israeli forces, some, 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 some are, I don't know why I can't say that, summarily executed at least 11 men, then forced women and children into a room, shot them or threw a grenade, seriously injuring them, which by the way, sounds like what they keep saying Hamas did to people at the Nova Festival, right? This is what the Biden administration is defending at the U.N. Security Council, partners in genocide. None of this matters because U.N. is a boss became some kind of dumb mantra. I'm no supporter of the U.N., but it's pretty stupid. That's like saying the U.N. is ISIS. It's just it's a broad and ridiculous claim meant to bury your war crimes. This is another one from Algeria, Al Jazeera, just from yesterday. A panel of human rights experts have now been appointed by the U.N. Human Rights Group or Human Rights Council. And they've said that the undercover Israeli raid on the hospital where they killed people in their beds may constitute a war crime. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what. Oh my God, of course it does. Now, here's Daniel Modos pointing out, and this is what gets me the most. These are publicly posted by IDF members on their own social media. They are laughing at you for caring about this. They do. These are Palestinians who have been kidnapped, later released, or and put in prison forever without any charge. But the reason I say release is because it seems a lot of these keep getting picked up, tortured, beat up, put back out. They're just torturing these people. But here's what they're doing. They Look, it doesn't matter if you think this is Hamas or whatever you think. This is a crime. You've arrested these people and you're singing, torturing them. This is what these, the IDF does on a regular basis right now. <laughs> this is what dehumanizing looks like.
I mean, if any other Western nation was doing this, or how about just this? If it was Russia, China, Venezuela, Iran, or anybody that was not in the good grace smacks him on the head. Anybody. That would be the that would be unprecedented. How dare you? How dehumanizing? How grotesque? How dare you treat them like they're not human? Nobody cares. Cuds News Network points out that a family of Dr. Muhammad Abu Samia Salmiya said that he is being severely tortured because he refused to appear in a video accusing the resistance of using Al Shifa Hospital as a military site. Which, by the way, is what the UN and most every human rights group has already admitted, that Israel uses torture. Oh, by the way, we just showed you that. Cases of torture, excuse me, degrading treatment. The point is that they do this as a matter of policy. And they're trying to, and this is why we already showed you the videos of those people they arrested, they claimed were Hamas, where they admitted that there were rapes, that there were people they beheaded, which, by the way, have turned out to be proven to be false based on basic statistics of how many children they were and things like that. So if we already know that they forced those people to lie in videos that they told you were admissions of guilt, every other admission of guilt through torture should not be, which but that's always the case. We all used to pretend and know that torture does not produce results, or at very least, it could produce bad ones. But they're known for doing this. They for not because they want an outcome, because they want to force the person they have to say whatever they want them to say. And then they claim that's the reality, which is what they keep using to murder people right now. Another doctor who was kidnapped with him stated that the la- the latter was forced to walk on all fours, eat from a bowl on the floor like an animal, and even they put a leash on him. It says he added that Israeli soldiers broke both of his arms. Yeah, democracy though, right guys? Only democracy in the Middle East. Here is an Israeli Jew who was arrested because he dared to speak up about Palestinians not being killed. This is a teacher. Now, tell me again about how this is only about fighting the bad guy Hamas. Or also, literally anybody who doesn't believe in Zionism. Here in Israel, for generations... We, we kill the Palestinians, we injure the Palestinians. We have more than 1,500 Palestinians in administrative detention. We demolish their houses here in Jerusalem. We cut down their olive trees. We confiscate their property, their waters. And most Israelis expect them to accept it. And when they do and when they don't accept it, they react in violent way. They blame them, the Palestinians. For most Israelis, I mean, we hold millions of Palestinians under occupation for generations. They are de- deprived their basic rights. And for most Israelis, it can go on forever. Don't get me wrong, I'm not justifying the, the, the violence, but this is, the, 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 I think, the, the, the realistic conclusion. How can we expect the Palestinians to live under occupation forever? Every Israeli citizen knows clearly that if you dare to show the slightest sentiment towards the people of Gaza, if you criticize killing of innocent civilians, including women and children in Gaza, 
you will be politically persecuted. You will go through public shaming. You will lose your job. And in my case, be put in jail. I wanted Wild. as many Israelis to know what is done on their behalf. Most Israelis don't know. So how dare you have a different opinion, right? So this is the reality. And this is not just because post-October 7th. You're not allowed to challenge these things. Ask the people, the Orthodox Jews I was telling you about. They get beat up. And I've been showing you videos of that for years. Why? Because they protest Zionism in a peaceful way. Because the mainstream media doesn't show what really goes on in Gaza, what we are doing in Gaza. They uh, wished me to die. They wished my children to die. They threatened to rape my daughter. That was wow. the, the, the kind of reactions uh, that were against. Think about that. This is coming from other Israeli Jews because he dares to point out that the Zionist actions are unjustified. I mean, this is like Ben calling the Jewish voice of peace trash, a little less serious. But you see the point? You can't keep pointing out that you're the defender of all Jews and then go, oh, except that one and those and that group there because they don't agree with what I think and look differently than I do. That makes you the problem. You're the disgusting person. You're the racist. I know. Shocking revelation, right? That's quite obvious. That's what's happening today. I was called for a hearing on October 18th, and the next day I was fired. The police uh, asked me to come over for an interrogation. The minute I walked into the police station, they cuffed my hands and legs See? and confiscated my phone. Get immature to the crime yet. And guys, and this is a citizen of Israel that barely stepped out of line. Five detectives escorted me to my apartment and ransacked the place upside down. They put me in solitary confinement in a cell with no windows. They took away my watch. I didn't know when it was daytime, when it was nighttime. For them, I'm Hamas supporter. They refused to enter the class. And they began a very, very violent demonstration. I was literally under siege inside the teacher's room. Dozens of students were on the windows, knocking the windows, cursing me. Right. And so we'd love to talk about how the schools, UNRWA schools are teaching terrorism. Well, let's just pretend that you're right, even though I think it's verifiably not the case, other than materials you might disagree with talking about certain things. The bottom line is, let's just say for sake of argument that's happening. Doesn't this apply that you're literally teaching children in every level of school that hatred for Palestinians is not just justified? It's it's. If you're not doing it, you need to be attacked. I mean, it's just so overwhelmingly obvious. And this is not about every person in Israel or every Jew. It's about the people of this state who have been convinced that this is the right way to think and are being misled. And again, I can prove to you that there is a lot of people who are suddenly seeing through this and have for a long time. There are Jewish organizations that have been speaking up, like I keep showing you, in Israel, in New York, around the world, telling you this is happening. So just recognize that it's about trying to keep to show people the truth. I mean, it's like any other circumstance. There are going to be people 
who fight to defend the illusion. It's always the case. We just got to we got to see this in the same way it always in, in any other manipulation and just try to help people see through it. The problem right now, more than anything, is that that illusion is leading to immediate massacres happening as we speak. Another 115 children killed today. So many pregnant women giving preg giving birth in the streets, children getting their arms amputated without any kind of, uh, um, I'm blanking on the term, you know, anything to do, dole the pain, put them to sleep. I, it's just so overwhelming how, how much suffering is happening right now. And all they can do is argue that we need to essentially be like, just stand back until Hamas does something. Otherwise, we're going to keep doing this. Like we just have to let it happen around us. I don't accept that. You don't accept that. The world doesn't accept that. And it is trying in, 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 in many ways to petition the people who you used to think would actually listen to you. And they keep towing the genocide line. You know, so I, again, I'm not the one with all the answers. I don't think violence is the next step, but we have to recognize that we're in an impasse where the Bidens of the world or whoever's actually pulling his strings aren't allowing this to stop, even when literally everybody, I shouldn't say it like that, because clearly there are parts of the two-party paradigm, the same people I talk out and talk about and criticize, who are weirdly allowing this to continue and talking about other things that are far less important. But I think the vast majority of the people of every country are very aware of what's happening. So find some, some positive momentum in that. Stand up with these groups and continue to push because you are having, a, you are, there's a difference because of what you're doing. I really believe that even in the sense of less people dying in this because of the, the pressure being applied, I know that's the case. So keep fighting. Do not lose faith in this. Stay the course. People's lives are being changed because you are taking, finding the courage to speak out, to stand up. So thank you for being here in, in support of us doing that because we are making a difference. I will leave you with another Avi clip as we leave today. There's a bunch of other stuff that I'll probably get into in the next show. So make sure you tune in. We will always continue to fight for what we believe is right. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Uh, Zionism is racism. Israel cannot be both. Israel is either a racist Jewish state, or it's a democratic state for everybody. And that's what I would like Israel to be. I'd like a democratic solution, one state with equal rights for um, uh, all its inhabitants. Uh, your organization, Human Rights Watch, issued a report last year uh, about Israel, mm -hmm. and the conclusion was it is an apartheid state. And there are four major human rights groups in the last two years mm -hmm. who issued similar reports reached the same conclusion. Israel mm -hmm. is an apartheid state. So apartheid is racism. Apartheid is discrimination. But Israel is the only member of the United Nations that I know which is officially racist. And I say this because of the uh, July 2018 nation-state law, which says mm. the Jews have a unique, unique right to self-determination mm. in Israel. Unique <laughs> means exclusive. Yes. It means Arabs have no right to self-determination. Mm -hmm. It means even if Arabs became a majority, mm -hmm. they would still have no right to self-determination. Mm. So but most certainly Zionism is a 
um, is a racist ideology mm. and it is largely responsible for the Nakba that has unfolded throughout the last century mm. and continues today.